Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Today we're going to start with uh, with a friend, a new friend that I met this week. Okay, not personally, but you know, it's on the internet. You read a person's life and you follow their Instagram and you start to look and you feel like you get to know them a little bit. So here's Alan Mott and Alan is from Edmonton, which is the capital of Alberta, Canada. And he shared his story a few years ago with BBC.com and I read the article and it was kind of fascinating. The title caught my attention. It was called The Awfulness and Awesomeness of being short. And there you see a picture of Alan hugging his nephew at a graduation ceremony. So Alan is five foot two inches, and he's living in a country where the average height for males is 5'10", and the average height for women is 5'4". And he notes that he's just four inches taller than the medical diagnosis for dwarfism. He said his parents were short. He said he didn't have much hope in the way of height his whole life. But When he was five years old, he said it was really cool because he was like the cutest, littlest kid in his kindergarten, and all the older kids on the playground would like hug him and like kind of treat him like a doll and and just very cute. But then he said a couple years later, bullying picked on all the different things. And so he said he's come to two major conclusions that living as a short man in Western society, he said, one, it's awful, and two, no one wants to hear about it. He's like, I recognize the fact that there's plenty of discrimination out there on many things, racial discrimination, gender discrimination, all the discriminations. He's like, I know nobody wants to hear about my height. He's like, but some people, they still do treat me a little differently as a short man. And he said that the biggest place he sees it is in the workplace. And he goes, you know what? Tall people, if they advocate for themselves, they're seen as self-confident, especially males. And he's like, when he speaks up for himself, he's dismissed or seen as needy or insecure. So here is Alan with some of his friends and coworkers. And he said he worked at a marketing firm for a while. And he noticed that like in meetings, he'd say an idea and it would kind of get overlooked. And then somebody else would say an idea, repeat kind of the same thing later on. And the boss would be like, yeah, yeah, that's great. So he started to look around and his female colleagues said that they felt the same way. And he's like, you know, we always thought it was gender with them. He's like, maybe it's because we're short. So that he had been reading the data from the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. And Malcolm had researched height in the business world. And he noted that tall people, especially men, trigger a certain set of very positive but unconscious associations. The average height for CEOs of Fortune 500 companies is six foot tall. And he said this is known as bad Rapid cognition. Let me read this quote. There is something going on in the first few seconds of meeting a tall person that makes us predisposed toward thinking of that person as an effective leader. And so he goes into breaking down, like, why do our brains do this? Why do we make connections? Sometimes our, our rapid connections are good and sometimes they're bad. And so here he's saying it's a fallacy. And according to research by Timothy Judge and Daniel Cable, height also affects salary increase. 
And when they did the research in 2004, they determined that by those pay standards, they figured out every inch of height was worth an extra $789 in annual salary based on people's raises. So Alan felt like, well, guess I'm getting paid less. But back to Alan, he came to the conclusion as he wrote this article, by the end he's like starts to ruminate on all the good things that have come from it. And he realized that his height, maybe, maybe it pushes him in a good direction. And he said this, I have this determination to transcend people's expectations of me. So he's like, when somebody says, oh, I don't know if I want to go like karaoke or sing that song, he's like, I'll do it. I'll be the first up there. I'll be the first to jump out of a plane if you let me. He just says, because he's always trying to like project confidence to others, he ends up being more confident than he even feels on the inside. So I liked that determination. And that caught my eye this week because of some people that we're going to read about in today's scripture that Alan reminded me of. So let's dig in. We're going to be in Luke today. We are still on our journey of the redeemed. I want to give a little shout out because my friend and minister, Ben Seaman, his wife, Crystal, designed this shirt for their church. They, were, they had this journey theme, and he had given me this shirt um, at a conference, and I was like, oh, I want to wear it. It's, it's, we're, we've been in a journey for a long time. And our current segment is called Leaping of Deer, Haunting of Jackals, and it's kind of like we're going to look at people who were, who were coming to Jesus for, for healing and for positivity because they wanted to draw near. And then some people came to Jesus And they wanted to trap him. They wanted to try to trick him. They wanted to see if they could make him stumble. And so there's positive and negative people in Jesus' path. And and these few weeks, we're going to just look at different people that he encountered um, before he, in his ministry. So we're going to begin today with some verses that might feel like a flashback. Because the last two weeks, we had Easter. And then last week, in both of those, we're looking at the way after Jesus died and rose again, his followers were just really struggling. They were struggling to grasp. I mean, they watched their friend die in pain, and they were baffled with the fact that people were saying he was alive again, and it just took a little bit of time to comprehend and to work through their grief and to work through their understanding that it was predicted. And Jesus had said to them, like, this was written about in scripture, and then I told you, And they were trying to, like, piece together, like, when did he tell us these things? So here's one of the examples we're going to begin with in Luke 18, where Jesus does say to them pretty directly, Jesus took the 12 aside, verse 31, and he told them, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. That seems pretty direct, doesn't it? The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. So that last verse, like, you know, the meaning was hidden from them. We could take that a couple of different ways. We could be like, okay, does that mean God hid it from them? Like, like did God know that they couldn't get it all at first? He knows our limitations, so maybe, maybe God was giving them the time to process. Or maybe it was hidden from them in the way that sometimes your mind just does that to protect you, you know? Like you hear a piece of news. If, if a friend comes, and some of you have had this, a friend has come to you, a loved one, and said, like, I 
have been diagnosed with this disease. And some, I don't know, I, I take a moment. Sometimes it takes me days to just really comprehend what does that mean to see a friend in pain, to know that, that their life will change because of this. And sometimes we don't grasp it all right away. And maybe that's what happened with the disciples. Maybe their brains were kind of like, Jesus talks in metaphors a lot. Let's just, let's just say it's a metaphor. Like they don't even want to imagine the possibility of his death. Maybe that's what it felt like to be hidden from their minds. There's so much. There's so much from Scripture that it's still a puzzle, you know? We piece it together. We'll spend our whole lives piecing it together. And sometimes we think we have the right pieces, and maybe maybe we don't. Maybe Maybe we're moving things around, and we read Scripture again, and we experience life, and we see Jesus for who he truly is. And that paints a different picture. And that's okay. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to spend our lives learning more about him, drawing close to him. And that, that's okay that it takes time. It took time for these disciples. And Jesus was okay with that. Let's keep reading the next person that Jesus meets. So he and the disciples, this is when they were trying to get closer and closer to Jerusalem. His purpose being headed to the cross. But here, Jesus... They were going, and they went through Jericho. And a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When the man heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. So Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, the man received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. We just talked about the 12 disciples struggling to see Jesus' plan. And here's a man who he can't see at all. And yet he has insight. He sees something in Jesus, not through his physical eyes. But he cries out. You know, if you can hear things, if your eyes are closed and you hear things, and like, today, I could see with my own eyes. And I was trying to pick up my friends, running in the midst of thousands of racers. And it's just like, where are they? Well, can you imagine not looking at all and just hearing crowds, so many people? And so he's like, I don't know where in the crowd Jesus is. So he just yells in every direction he can. Everybody told him to be quiet. If you know the city, if you've been around here long enough, you've seen some people on the street holding signs, hanging out at stoplights. And maybe those faces have started to look familiar. You know who's going to be on what corner. Maybe you've stopped and talked to them before. Maybe you've heard their stories. Maybe sometimes the stories change. And you go from compassionate to skeptical to annoyed. That's what this guy was to a lot of people. He's begging on the street. He's probably in the same spot every day. People are like, that's that guy. 
We know him. Always asking for something. No? Can you feel it? Why they told him to be quiet? Like we know people in our neighborhood that have been told to be quiet. Jesus didn't brush him off. He said, go bring him to me. Through the crowd, bring right up close. And then Jesus asked him a question. What do you want me to do for you? He asked it real close, right? They're face to face now. The man didn't have to yell his need. He could stand with dignity and speak and advocate for himself. What do you need? That's pretty vulnerable, isn't it? But Jesus didn't want him to be a faceless, nameless person who couldn't see and wasn't known. He wanted to be known. He wanted him to be seen and known and heard. Heard. I've always, I've always heard this story because I've grown up in the church and I've heard different Bible stories and you learn about it sometimes as kids and sometimes as adults and I always think, well, yeah, of course he would ask for sight. But I was reading and studying this week, and some of the Bible commentators were like, he could have, like, toned down his request when he got there. Like, what if he was nervous and he was, like, just asked for food or money? He had the chance to, like, say whatever he wanted to. He could have been nervous, but he was, he was strong in his, re- he was honest in his request. And Jesus named that as faith. And for a moment... I was like, yeah, faith that Jesus could heal him. But maybe it was just also faith that Jesus would want to. That takes faith sometimes. And I don't know you, but I'm, I'm convicted by that, that Jesus looked at him and said, your faith has healed you. I'm like, makes me evaluate my own. I don't know. I've talked about this with some friends lately, and I realize that I have a hard time sometimes praying honestly about myself. I'll ask other people to pray for me. And I think part of me is like, I don't know if I'm afraid to ask. Not that I don't think Jesus can, but will he? Does he want to? Is that part of God's greater plan? And if I don't ask, then I can't be disappointed that he, that it wasn't. But see, think the faith part of it he says your faith has healed you and maybe it's just the willingness to pray is the faith the willingness to be honest and to come to Jesus and be brave enough to ask the real question that we have inside I think that's hard to do that's hard for me to do but you know what asking the question even if the answer isn't what we want it builds a relationship and that's That's the point of prayer, deepening our relationship, having a conversation. Because, I mean, if I'm hanging out with you guys and I ask you for a favor, first of all, that's still hard because I don't want to be a bother. So maybe this is just my personality showing up. But I might ask you for a favor. And if you can't, I get it. But it's like we're just hanging out, I know, and another time you'll say yes. But it's like we have a conversation and we're spending time together and that's our friendship. Maybe that's what that faith is. It's like just just going with the courage to be like, hey, God, this is really what's going on. This is really how I'm feeling. You, he already knows. Maybe he just wants us to tell him. 
And maybe he can help us when the timing isn't right for that yes that we're asking for. But maybe he'll say yes. There's faith there. But that courage, to be honest, is what the man who was blind, that's the courage he took that day. And he began a face-to-face relationship with Jesus because of it. We get that opportunity too. Our faith will heal us. Let's meet our final friend of the day. And based on the opening story of our non-tall friend named Alan, you might guess who we're going to meet next. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. If you have a child in our Echo Kids classes, they have talked about Zacchaeus a couple weeks ago. So share some conversations this afternoon. Compare what they learned. But let's look at this story from an adult perspective. With all those things we just talked about, short people in the business world, imagine what if that was like for Zacchaeus in his day? What if he felt like Okay, I'm small, so I got to do some attention-getting stuff to be noticed in this world. He's a big businessman, we see. So maybe he felt he had to force and cheat his way there because nobody was choosing him. Nobody was looking out into the crowd and seeing him and saying, you're the next leader. Maybe he just kept being overlooked. So he found a way and made a compromise and found another way and made another compromise until he's like, well, this is working out pretty well. Okay, it says he's a chief tax collector. There's two options of what this might mean. First, we've met another tax collector in the book of Luke before. His name was Levi. He was called to be one of those core 12 apostles. He wrote the book of Matthew. That's his other name that we know him by. So he was a tax collector. So Zacchaeus could have been like his boss overseeing a region of tax collectors. But there was another option, and I didn't know about this. I was fascinated. So that he, there was like a wealthy person who might go to Rome and say, I want to pay my community's taxes. I'm going to pay up front out of my own money. And then his job would be go to knock on the door and say, hey, I already paid your taxes. You need to pay me. I did this for you already. But of course he would up the price and up the price so that he have a little extra on the side. And that shows power there, right? Like, if he's the one doing you a favor or charging the taxes, if you're, like, if you're friends with Zacchaeus and you are a merchant and you're ready to bring in some goods and he's in charge of telling you how much taxes you have to pay to import your goods, you want to be on his good side, right? Like, he has that power. Like, be nice to me because I can make your life miserable or great. So, of course, the people are grumbling 
But they're not like doing it openly in front of Zacchaeus because he still controls the prices. But they're talking about him behind his back as soon as he walks away. And if you recall, Jesus has been criticized before about eating with sinners. But in those passages, we read that those were the religious leaders saying you shouldn't do this. This one, what does it say? It says the people, all the people. If you mess with somebody's money, it doesn't matter your race, religion, gender. You mess with somebody's money, all the people are going to be mad at you. So everyone, no one liked Zacchaeus at this point. He offended everyone. They're all calling him a sinner. Like you cheated and we all know it. And we've all read news headlines where people cheat people and you know it. Knowing this mindset, the idea that he's so powerful. I don't know, like we sang this little song when I was a kid. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And I always thought maybe he's like, hey guys, hey guys, I can't see. I can't, let me in. But he's a powerful guy. He could have been like, move out of my way or I tax you. I mean, he had the power. He could have also said like, have my people call your people. You disciples, bring your, bring your Jesus to me later. Let's meet up. Like he did not have to climb a tree. So that is, that's showing some vulnerability here, right? Like a powerful man. Could you imagine like Cincinnati's mayor, Aftab? Can you imagine him climbing a tree to go see someone? Or can you imagine the CEO of P&G? You know, like some people that are like known in the city. Like you imagine just climbing a tree. Like this is like, it's taken some chutzpah. It's taken some things that like they don't care right now. Like whatever they want. They're going to be looked at kind of weird. So Zacchaeus is just like, I don't care in this moment how people see me. I just want to see Jesus. And he just went. So, yeah. Seeing this man. Seeing this man despised by many. He also, his colleagues could have been like, you're choosing to amend your ways. Because once Jesus comes into Zacchaeus' house and he says, okay, From here on out, I'm changing. Like, he was a changed man from that moment. He felt convicted. He met Jesus face to face. He was seen. Jesus loved him and said he was going to go to his house before he had ever changed his ways. Before that. He already said, I'm coming to dinner with you. Zacchaeus felt that love. And he wanted to be a better person. He knew what he'd done wrong. And he said, I'm ready to do this from here on out. And... I don't know. It probably took the crowd a little bit of time to believe him. Like, we're going to wait and see you live this out before we actually believe this is going to happen. I think that some people in our city who are Reds fans have struggled to believe some of the things that are being said about the Reds team. I've watched people have lots of angst lately, and they're like, show us the changes you're going to make for our team, right? So that's the reputation that he had in town. Like, well, Zacchaeus, you've been doing some things. You always say some things. And you've been choosing what you want to do with the money. But Zacchaeus was like, I'm changed. And Jesus took him at his word and he declared right there. Before any change had been done in action, Jesus saw Zacchaeus' heart and he said, this is a child of God, a son of Abraham. This is who is on my team. He said, salvation is at this house today. Well, let's check back in with our new short Canadian friend, Alan. Alan said he always tried to be funny and self-deprecating about his height and his appearance because it just, he just thought if he could make people laugh, that would, that would be good, right? But a, a friend of his said, hey, 
Stop talking down about yourself. So Alan concluded this. I've decided I'm going to make jokes about how awesome and handsome I am. The thing I've found is that people like it when they laugh with me about something nice and positive. Society doesn't think I'm a handsome ideal, but I'll keep asserting that I'm awesome anyway. So he said every selfie I put up on Instagram has a caption, another handsome day. Can you handle this much handsome? He said I don't do self-deprecating anymore. When I look back at some of my prouder achievements, I have to admit these might not have happened if I was just an average guy and not an awesome shrimp. Just like Alan experiences like today in, in his everyday world, Jesus interacted with people today and they weren't considered the ideal. These people in the book of Luke, they had to move past how other people saw them. But they met Jesus as a result. I keep thinking about the words of the man who was blind. He said, Lord, I wanted to see. Each person, each person we met today actually struggled to see. The 12 disciples couldn't see Jesus' plan. The man who was blind couldn't physically see. Zacchaeus was too short, couldn't see, climbed up a tree. Yet each person also had to push past how other people saw them. The man who was blind, when he yelled out, people rebuked him. That's a strong word. Like, like reprimanding, criticizing, putting down, like not worthy to ask his request. They wanted him to shut up, but this man, he probably yelled louder as a result. He didn't care. He wanted healing in his life, and nothing was going to stop that. Zacchaeus, as we said, he had to ignore what people thought about him, how strange they thought it would be, but he knew he had the capacity to change. Each person was also seen by Jesus. Those, those 12 disciples, as we've said, Jesus, he brings them along. After he was resurrected from the dead, Jesus spent time with his followers and tried to show them step by step, here was why this had to happen. He helped them see. And the man who was blind, everybody else saw what was missing, and Jesus saw that faith. And so he's like, I want you to have sight because you've already seen without eyes. You've had faith in me. So he treated him with love and dignity, even when no one else did. And Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Everyone else saw all the cheating, all the sins in his life, and Jesus saw the potential. He saw everything that Zacchaeus was made to be, and he already believed in him. And so Zacchaeus started to figure himself out. So where do we need help seeing? Do you need to see Jesus better and understand his plans a little bit more? Do you need to see Jesus as trustworthy? Do you need to see Jesus changing who you are to help you be who you have all the potential to be? There's ways we see ourselves and the way we see Jesus and the way we see others. Which way do you need to see? Let's ask God. In fact, we just need to remember that as we're seen by Jesus, we can go to him. And we ask every week on this journey, how are we living like the redeemed people of Jesus? Let's just pray, Lord, I want to see.
And you know God's talking to you right now. His spirit's moving in, and you know what kind of prayer you need to pray. And I just hope you have that courage. I hope I have the courage to be that honest and go to Jesus and say, yeah, here's where I need to see right now. So let's just pray that together. Let's close our time, and we'll just pray very simply. Lord, we want to see. We want to see you better. We want to have the faith to be honest and tell you where we're struggling. And Lord, we want to see ourselves more clearly and, and everything that you see in us already. Help us see and believe that too and live like it. Help us change our ways and the ways that we need to live more like you. Thank you for seeing us and believing in us, having faith, for calling us your children. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.